are more logical thinkers. Like it, that's a fact. It's a fact. It's not, it is a fact. Like it, are, it is. Better deductive problem solvers. I've met some non-logical men. Some. That doesn't. Most. Just because I've you met, met uh, some more illogical uh, men. Logical. <laughs> Yo, you should met two men. Just because you met some two illogical guys. men Three does guys. not change the fact that most men are more logically sound than most women. I've met more men that are messed up in the head than women i'm not gonna lie once again taking your personal experience and trying to extrapolate it out into the main general society i can only speak for myself incredible. like i said this is my own reality incredible. so well to be fair i see cuts on her hands so that's probably what's what's happening there too what i think that's not a topic of conversation that you need to bring online i think saying, that's i think that's really much men. my business relax fresh chill fresh the point i'm trying to make what? This is when I go. Oh, what? Well, <laughs> she, 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 well, then, I mean, just take a deep breath. That's too have far. Have a seat, and then we want medicine. That's not too insane. far, yeah. Like, that right. has nothing right. to do with anything. Right. Well, I mean, she can leave that. Fuck yeah. fucking yeah. 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 I'm leaving. Stop yelling now. She's like, I need to leave. I did not disrespect nobody here. I think you made your decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't. We don't. We don't. All right, sorry. All right, go back. Go quiet. Take your phone. Take your phone. Okay. I mean, uh. Fresh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying a choice of men isn't quite going to be the best. That's all. What was that? A choice of men. Well, it won't be the best. That's all I'm saying. Oh, man. Like, uh, hey, man. Again, this is what I mean. This is a perfect example. Men are more logically sound than women. Look at y'all right now. All in your feelings. This is wild. Who? Okay. I mean, this proves my point. Her. I mean... I don't know if she's I mean, out I now. can understand why she's oh. upset about it, but yeah, I mean, like, it's kind of cool, like, though. I mean, yes, it was kind of like, damn, but like, damn. <laughs> like, I don't know how to, like, I can't even, I don't know. Women are more yeah. mature, though. Yo, Frank Castle. Women are more yeah, mature. Fresh Castle. They're more mature. Have, well, you never know what somebody's going through. Hey, maturity. That's, hold that's, on. Maturity but, is but being able to control your emotions look, regardless of how you feel. Understood, but we're talking about relationships in life. There's no reason to right. bring up something as deep as something you don't know what somebody's going through. This is proof my point that men are more that. mature than women. This literally just showed it. It's not about being it. immature, babe. It's not about being immature. Emotional control is a component of maturity. Yeah, because if, if you're not emotional, then there's school shooters, there's men yeah, who are like, there. like mature. See, here's the difference. Like, when men are immature, there's serious consequences for it. When women yeah. are immature, they just walk off a podcast and complain. But since when has like, a woman shot fine. up a school? But that that's, wasn't anything to do with, like... That's my point. Like, men have to be like, emotionally mature. But that has nothing to do with the argument. That we're, not, we're having a mature conversation about life and relationships. And then on That has nothing to do with anything about... She made up a, about... a bunch of nonsensical points that had nothing to do with the argument. I said men in general are more logically sound and deductive problem solvers than women. She goes and says, I've met a bunch of guys that aren't logically sound. Do you not see the disconnect there from a competence not, level? Do you not see the disconnect about bringing up somebody that's going through something that's probably oh, but way can I, can I say something? But can I say something? Can I say something? He did that to show. That's fucked up. It's, no, it's not. No, oh, it's not. No, 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 no. How's it fucked up? Explain to me. I just said it. Brought, I mean, can I say something? I used to cut myself. I used to cut myself about two years ago. 
and that's genuinely because like I wasn't mentally okay and I did not have the emotional control to deal with what the fuck I was going through so what he's saying is that like he's proving a point that women deal like with their emotions and they make decisions based off their emotions and not being logical I used to do the shit I don't have the scars anymore but like I used to do the all right all right all right we're, we're gonna get into this what the whole rant is and then the, so okay so here, here's the gist of it so if anybody you don't know there's this the the show the fresh and fit podcast pretty much they had a they had an episode last night where pretty as you just heard um fresh the you know the the whatever i know he says from barbados the dark skin one i'll just call him the dark skin one looks like he's got the fucking mumps but anyways but the, the dude this you know fresh you know he you know fresh he made there was a debate and he pretty much made the comment about how you know he pointed out the girl had cuts on her arm which of course if anybody you know of course if you know anybody has ever, you know, experienced or know somebody who goes through, you know, certain mental problems, we know cuts on our arm is a pretty good indicator that the person might have, you know, mental problems, right? You don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. So of course, Fresh points it out, you know, and the girl gets mad about it because it's a very personal issue and she walks away, you know, which of course, no one really bothers to check Fresh on it, which was very, you know, it was, and, and of course the guy in the background, you know, he, he told Fresh to chill, but it was very half-assed. Like he never told him like, Hey bro, that was crossing the line. Don't fucking do that. And then of course, Myron being Myron, you know, he's just, <laughs> he's, you know, he's a little, he's a fuck boy too. You know, he, he rides the wave and you know, you, it's kind of funny really for somebody who talks about accountability and responsibility, you know, they don't really hold each other. They don't really hold each other to that whenever they do something whenever they do something wrong and that's something very significant you know I realized in watching this show for as long as I watched it so here's the thing these these two assholes you know let's just be real here fresh is a bitch okay he's a punk ass bitch because he did something that him and Myron have always called out the chicks on their show for is about making it personal and fresh made it personal okay Normally, I'm on those guys' side in some of their little, like, debates and arguments, but I'm taking the side with the chick on this one. That was over the line, okay? She was not making it personal. All she said, you know, well, she was utilizing her experience, but she never made it... Here's the thing. She she didn't... How do I say... She was using her experience, but she never got personal. And what I mean is, and what I mean by that is, is she wasn't talking about her own. She never talked about her own personal issues. She just brought up, you know, people that she met. Hence why when she said she was just bringing up people that she met there, if, if that's a good way to explain it, um, you're more than likely to message me or comment on Spotify if I did a good job of explaining it. But the point being is, is she never made it personal. Yes, she was utilizing her experience, but she never got, she never went deep with her own experience. She, all she said, but she never got deep with it. All she said was, I met some guys who were pretty messed up in the head. And that's all she said. She never went anything any more deeper than that. Fresh was the one 
that made it personal, that went deeper than what it, that went deeper than that by pointing out her cuts. And then, you know, of course, the wise thing for Fresh would have been to say, you know what, my bad. I, that was, that was, you know, messed up, but he didn't. And what's fucked up even more is that the other two guys are laughing and they're just being assholes about it. And here's the thing. This is not a, here's the thing. If we're, if this is, if the whole conversation about maturity, the, the, the topic of their conversation was about maturity and who's more mature, men or women. If, if the, here, and, and this is why I've always, I've been a big proponent of leading by example. If you truly, if, if, if the, if you truly believe that, it, and this is why I'm a big proponent of leading by example. If you are really, if you truly believe that men are more mature than women, well, then obviously you as a man should be mature enough to identify the fact that you crossed the line by pointing out something that was very personal. That would have been the mature thing to do. Not continue, not try to, not continuously argue and continuously try to justify you saying something really retarded. And that that's a sign of immaturity, not maturity. And the fact that they keep trying to argue that this is a case of who's right and who's wrong. This is not a case of this is not a case of facts versus opinions. This is not a case of who's right. This isn't a case of being right. This is a case of doing right. And what he did was wrong. There, you can sit here and argue and flip it. And I've been reading some of the comments of some of these people who are trying to defend Fresh's actions. There's no defense. What he did was wrong. This is not a case of being right. It's a case of doing right. And what Fresh did was wrong. And the right thing would have been for him to take accountability for it. And, you know, I don't blame her for walking away. You know, if, you know, I don't blame her for walking away. I mean, if I was in a situation like that, I probably would have walked away too. But then again, I probably would have. But then again, you know, I can actually fight. Fresh can't fight. So I probably would have put a chokehold on his ass, you know. And that, and that's the thing too. Like what people don't understand, the thing with guys like the guys like Fresh and Fit, you have to understand they're the type of guys that, don't get me wrong, they are right about some things. But the problem is they're the type of guys that they are tough when they are they are tough when there is a room full of women you see what i'm saying like and not just i wouldn't even say they're the typical guy who acts tough when they're in a room full of women they're the typical guy who acts tough when they know they're not surrounded by people who can kick their ass that's that's actually that's a better example for it like that's the difference between like if like if you ever watch their podcast and i encourage you to watch their podcast watch their podcast when they're in a room full of dudes that that will actually like that can pretty much kick their ass like if you watch him like if you watch them when they do podcasts like with andrew tate for a good example they are very respectable they are very they they are very respectable they are very i mean in some ways you would say they're timid like they don't cross lines they don't say they don't say they don't cross lines like they don't say shit like what fresh said but it isn't until those dudes are out of the room and it isn't until those dudes are out of the room that's when they open their mouth like that, that's, that's really a good, that's when they decide to open their mouth. Like when they're around dudes that can kick their ass, they're pretty silent. It isn't until they're around dudes that can't kick their ass. That's when they're willing to talk. Like that's when they're willing to like say shit and, you know, act all hard and be tough. And, and that's pretty much what it is. It's not, it's not necessarily that they act tough when they're in a room full of women. It's just, they're the type of dudes who just act tough period when they know 
they don't have when they know that there's no one there that can check them like when they're not surrounded like when there's no one there that'll mock them or tell them like hey shut the fuck up or pretty much like say hey i'm gonna kick your ass because let's be honest here if that were a dude like if if that were another man that fresh said that to fresh would have got punched in the face he would have got punched in the face. That's the main reason why he said it, because he knew that chick wouldn't have punched him in the face. So that's why he said it. But if there was another dude, he wouldn't have said that. That dude would have fucked him up, especially if it was a guy who could fight. That guy would have fucked him up. Hence why he said it in the first place, because he knew she wouldn't do anything. The worst she would have done is walked off. Hence why he said it. So, you know, I mean, it, it's really, it's just, I mean... As much as these guys make valid points on their podcast, it's hard to defend them when they say and do stupid shit like that, you know, and there's been a couple of instances where they've said some stupid shit, where they've said and done like some stupid shit where you're just kind of like, okay, like calm down. This is not one of those like cases. This is not one of those situations. Like you need to calm down, slow your roll. This is, you know, the, you know, calm down, slow your roll. No, like this isn't the first time they've done that. Like, you know, there was a, there was another incident, I think, where there was a girl who grew up in the Middle East and, you know, of course she lived in that extremism that's going on right now. And of course, as you know, when people who are exposed to extreme religion they tend to go to the extreme explicit life this of course this girl ended up being very promiscuous and having an only fans which is very common amongst people who have had like religion shoved down their throat or you know who, who grew up in a very extreme lifestyle they tend to fall to the other side which of course if myron who claims to be mature would have identified that and would have been like okay well you're the exception to the rule I'm not going to hold it against you. You know, I'm not going to hold it against you, you know, but instead he pretty much went hard on the paint with her, even though the circumstances, you know, even though the circumstances were not what, even though her circumstances weren't like all the other girls circumstances. And this is why it's like, it's, it's weird. And this is why I'm saying like, he contradicts himself. And this is why I'm saying like Fresh and Fick are very, they contradict themselves a lot because they talk about how exceptions don't make the rule, but then they make the arguments for the exception. But then they use the exceptions as an argument. They talk about how you need facts. But then when sometimes they get questioned, they say, oh no, well, it's just common sense. Well, you know, you can't say have evidence, but then you not have evidence yourself. And then things like this. And then they talk like right now, as you heard in the video, they talked about how they are saying how men are more mature, but then here they are acting very immature and not checking fresh, you know, when he clearly crossed the line and when he clearly crossed the line. I mean, and that's the thing. And the thing that's funny is, is like later on in the video, I just, I just stopped it because the black chick in there was just like going on a tangent, which was really stupid and it made no sense, as you heard. Um, but the thing is, is that was not Myron goes on to say that Fresh checked her. That was not a check. That was him being a dick. OK, just for the sake of being a dick, because he knew he could get away with it. That's a, just for the sake of him being a dick. OK, it was it. That was not a check. OK, if he really wanted to check her for being dumb he could have found another way of doing it, not being, not taking something, not going after a personal matter that she clear that, you know, that clearly turned the situation upside down. 
And like I said, what's even worse is, you know, you got Myron defending the behavior and then you got the dude, Chris, in the back. You know, he was at first, you know, he was a total cuck boy. He just, oh, you know, laughing about it, too. And and then, of course, you had the the wannabe nerd chick, Xena, whatever her name is, the which she's not into anime, which and then you got the wannabe nerd chick, Xena. I don't know why you call yourself Xena. You never she's never even watched. I bet you she's never watched the fucking show. But then she's in the video and she's showing all these cuts on her arm acting like oh you know I have cuts in my arm and you don't see me acting like that like shut the fuck up so it's just it's just one of those things I mean fresh and fit are a bunch of bitches okay at the end of the day yes do they make some valid points yeah they, they do make some valid points but at the end of the day they're a bunch of bitches I mean and what they did was wrong it, it, you know no matter how you argue it no matter how you spin it what fresh did was wrong and how what Fresh did was wrong and what and what Myra and how Myra and Chris handled it were wrong. This is not a case of being right. It's about doing right. And the fact that, you know, what and the fact that they're trying to treat it as, you know, the opposite of what it is, is, is just a clear case of just, you know, them contradicting themselves. I mean, like I said, if maturity would not be to take something not to maturity is not to go after somebody personal. That would be is not to turn something personal. Maturity is to recognize the fuck up and apologize for the fuck up. That would be maturity. I mean, and once again, like you see a lot of these people in the comment section as I've as I'm reading, they're they're defending it, saying, you know, it was justified. It wasn't justified, guys. It was not justified, you know, it, it was not justified at all, you know, and, you know, it, it wasn't justified. So, yeah, but um, y'all a bunch of bitches. <laughs> <laughs> and what after that? <laughs> a man cares disproportionately about a woman's past than a woman cares about a man's past understand that if he's saying he wants to know these things he's acting like he doesn't care he truly does care and he can go from seeing you as a 10 out of 10 to not wanting a relationship whatsoever purely based on something that you tell him about your past to be honest with you when i talk to guys about what they want in their life they all want to be dads all they want is a nice house with a couple kids a job that they can tolerate even all the freaking alpha male influencers that there are they're all like and you need to have a hot wife and kids that respect yeah. you <laughs> and, and, and provide for your family yes. right it's all like they're being nerds you have to challenge them to mortal Kombat. <laughs> <and> sword, right? <laughs> the, <laughs> the guy grind has not fundamentally changed that much but uh -huh. the female grind has and, and that's what's scary because we have only one half of society that still wants a somewhat nuclear family. And the other other half, that's divided between 50-50 and 50% of the women do, the other 50% don't. And, like, what are you supposed to do with that? Yeah, so this is kind of, this is a good point, you know, this is a good point, and I've, I've pointed this out a couple times, too. So the, so the, the gist of it is, so kind of goes back to the thing the thing the problem is with the whole like red pill and MGTOW is like there's way too much infighting a lot of infighting way too much you know you have one side who's very you know you have one side who's just simple they want the simple things in life and then you have the other side who you know they want to live the fast lane you know they want to live the fast life 
And the thing is, is like, there's nothing wrong with wanting to live the fast life. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to just be a simple man and live a simple life. The problem is, is like, you've got these guys, the, the, the fresh and fits, the Royal Tomasi's, the, the, all the other rich fast lane guys, they're, you know, they're the ones who take someone wanting to live the simple life as a cardinal sin. And they, and they, and they make fun of those guys when instead they should be praising those guys because the whole premise you know, if you, if you go all the way back to like the first person who had this philosophy, which is of course Patrice O'Neill, which everyone cites to, the whole point of what he said was is a man's happiness is men finding their happiness and keeping their happiness and not sacrificing it for some dumbass hell. That's pretty much it. I mean, if being you know if if living driving fast cars and dating supermodels is the life you want to live. And that makes you happy. Great. If you want to live a simple life with wife and kids and a nice house and a job you tolerate. Great. Um, I mean, as long as you're not hurting yourself or you're hurting anyone, it, there's no big deal to it. But the problem is, is you have these guys who live like, who want to live life in the fast lane. They mock the dudes who don't want to live their life in the fast lane. And they say that that way of living is wrong. And that the vast majority of people, you know, want to live like that, which here, here's the thing, you know, and, and this is kind of like goes back to the whole gun debate, you know, and I use the gun debate because this is, because this is the same type of argument that people use is like, if you put a gun in everyone's hand, that's like saying if you put a gun in everyone's hand, they're all going to shoot up at school. Well, you don't know that. You know, you, you don't know that. You don't know if they're going to commit a crime. Or better yet, saying, oh, if you put a gun in everyone's hand, they're all going to commit a crime. Well, you don't know that. You know, you, you don't know what goes in the hearts and minds of every person. So when you hear somebody like Myron, who I was talking about earlier, say, oh, well, if you give, if you give a man a million dollars and you tell him that he can live his life where he can sleep with as many girls as he wants and keep his one chick 98% of them are going to take it well that's a big that's a big if which that's a big if because you don't know what goes through the minds and hearts of every per of every man I mean you could boil it down to to basic instinct but the truth of the matter is that's what separates us from the animals is that we're more than just our instincts. We actually have a sense of morality and we have a, we have a sense of right and wrong and an understanding of, okay, you know, just be, should I do this? You know, because it's not a matter of should, you know, should I do this? Cause it's not a matter of if you can, it's all, it's mostly a matter of if you should, which animals don't necessarily think like that, you know, humans do. So, it's kind of like, you know, he, you know, once again, he, he's, like I said, his, his method is, is more just boiled down to numbers, you know, all technique, no philosophy, which I mean, like I said, if, if you're just somebody who wants to like fast track your way to the, to the top of the mountain, that's the best way to go, I guess. I mean, but, but my, but, but overall, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you have dudes that are kind of stuck in between that rock and a hard place, you know, they're just, they're trapped between the rock and the hard place, you know, of, you know, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. And overall it just goes back to, you know, just like I said, find what makes you happy, follow, you know, understand that regardless of what path you choose, there's going to be challenges, there's going to be issues, but you have to understand that if this is what you want, this is the path you choose, this is the path that you want to walk, this is the path that you want to walk, this is what's just going to make you happy, then follow it. You know, but understand that 
you're gonna get you're gonna get blowback regardless whether you choose a simple life or a non-simple life. There's always there's always gonna be some sort of criticism thrown your way. So that would be that you know that's the gist of it. So yeah, um, find your happiness, find your happiness, and you know regardless of this, you know they'll find your happiness, and don't sacrifice it. For some, remember, your happiness as a man is paramount, and that's what it's about. It isn't about, it isn't about whose way is the best way, or you know, on average, who wants what. It's about men finding their happiness. That's what it's about. Never forget that. And the word, you know, um, as as you, if you, as I said, you know, Patrice O'Neill, as in the words of Patrice O'Neill, your happiness is paramount. As a matter of fact, it is in some sense central to the contemporary trend of completely emancipating oneself from nature through technological means. Right off the bat, it is important to make it clear that casual sex as a concept has never existed in the history of humanity, that this concept is purely Western and can only be discussed in the context of modern socio-political state. Now, I'm not arguing that people had never engaged in commitment-free intercourse prior to contemporary society. It's just the concept and the thought underlying this notion are novel and unique to a specific technological and temperamental environment that came into existence in the 20th century West. Now, let's define the meaning and message of this notion. The official definition of casual sex, then, is sexual activity between people who are not established sexual partners or do not know each other well. The underlying message of this notion is that people should or could base their sexual decisions on the principle of bodily autonomy. In other words, the concept of casual sex is an attempt to emancipate an individual from the shackles of cultural determinism and social responsibility. In a typical traditionalist society, someone's body doesn't belong to that particular person. The reason, first and foremost, is that there is no such thing as a particular person in a traditionalist society. Rather, personhood is enmeshed into the social fabric and cultural matrix, whereby one has to engage in a reciprocal relationship with their surroundings. Hence, in a traditional society, one is semi-autonomous with regard to the physical body. Looking through a magnifying glass, one's behavior might look isolated, but if you zoom out a bit, you would see that a citizen of a traditional society is a servo mechanism of the state. So in ancient Athens, for example, according to Aristotle, you gain the fruit of individuality only if you are part of a polis. If you are outside the polis, you are either an animal or a god. Being the polis then means sharing the responsibilities and core values of the state. Now, the concept of casual sex would oppose this old and dried-out conception of the body politic. One's sexuality is not a playground of the state, culture, family, or relatives, says the freethinker of modern society. Here we get to the core presuppositions that need to be true for casual sex to be a legitimate concept. Human beings are or can be fully autonomous beings, both physically and psychologically as they are fully able to divorce sexuality from the sphere of emotionality and mental health. One's decision-making about personal sexuality is safe enough to do away with cultural traditions and customs. Sexual intercourse is not that big of a deal, as evidently it can be casual if one desires it to be. This negates the notion that humans are evolutionary wired to act in a certain way. 
there are no inherent differences between men and women. Therefore, they're both equally able to engage in casual sex. Now, first, we need to consider that casual sex is in and of itself an oxymoron. Uh, the definition of the word casual sounds as follows, relaxed or unconcerned. So sex, apparently, which is a foundational act of reproduction, a foundational element of biological evolution, a critical part of cultural evolution and part and parcel of human psychosocial formation and mental health, can simply be relaxed or unconcerned. Now, there is nothing necessarily impossible about it, but it is highly unlikely, to say the least. So here are five major problems that I see in the concept of the casual sex. Sex can never be divorced from other human faculties. Hence, in virtue of sexual activity overlapping with other vital spheres of existence, it can never be casual. Casual sex promotes the false illusion of being in charge of one's body and having full autonomy over one's psyche and unconscious. Casual sex, in virtue of its being contrary to one's evolutionary predispositions, damages one's mental health. Casual sex contributed to social disorganization and the loss of unifying social fabric, without which there can never be such thing as culture or state. Society that accepts casual sex as a norm will inevitably create an environment that will or does already benefit people with antisocial personalities. Let's begin with the first one. Right from the outset, the very idea that sex can be completely isolated from other human activities and vital spheres of being demonstrates the mass prosopognosia that I discussed in another video. You see, human life is not segmented into isolated chunks of behavioral modalities that can be accessed like different shelves of a wardrobe. Rather, sexuality is interlinked with mental health, emotional attachment, love, self-assessment, the ability to sustain long-term relationships, cognitive abilities, and surely with physical health. The idea that one can be sure and calm that a casual one-nighter can never affect one's overall being is a symptom of psychological fragmentation. One is unable to see him or herself as one whole human being with core guiding principles that will influence every aspect of his behavior. In other words, modern people have lost the sense of identity principle. They do not live in the modality of being, but have entered into pure becoming. This perpetuates an illusion that one can engage in an act that will be abstracted or cut out from the contextual web of one's being. I'm going to have a one-nighter, and that act of casual sex will have no long-lasting impact on my life, as I'm free to think that it won't affect me. This brings me to the second problem. The idea that one's unconscious or psyche is so accessible and malleable is preposterous. The whole idea of psychoanalysis, which is, after all, a foundational principle of psychology, is that you are not a master of your psyche. The very existence of a psychologist as a profession presupposes that your psyche is not fully accessible to you. You can use your body the same way you can use your computer, but you don't actually know what is going on behind the scenes. The false no
She wanna cook it? Like, I don't know if it's just me, but like, it always happened to me though. You feel me? Like, the hoe always want more. Why? Like, fuck, treat me like everybody else.
They're not. They're not going to gamble their purse. You can just kind of tell with what Javante Tank Davis said and what Ryan Garcia said. We're not talking about that purse you're wearing. We're talking about the whole fight purse. Let's bring it on. I'm trying to make it uh, official. You know what I mean? Uh, we've been calling his advisor and things like that. So uh, hopefully we can get it done. And and Leonard Ellerby. He I, look. If you're gonna say a, a, a special feature. Featuring doing doing a great job coming what he what he said, getting the crowd hyped up. And he said definitely being the face of boxing, whoever wins this fight. I, I agree. I do. I, I see the face of boxing being somewhat of someone who is the most popular fighter. I see it as a popularity thing, as the face of boxing. Okay, and, and this fight is the most popular fight. Jake Paul and what the Misfits have done and, and you know, just YouTube boxing proving how getting all eyes on a fighter can just, you know, make you be one of the stars of the sport. And you, you, you're looking at Lomachenko versus Devin Dream Haney, you'll say whoever wins that is the best uh, lightweight. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that they're the face. And I agree. I, I think whoever wins this fight will be the future face of boxing. I, not to say that they're the greatest fighter, that they have all the accolades, but I, I, I agree. Let me know how you all feel in the comments below. Ryan Garcia, dominate the grand arrivals. Showbiz adult, I'm out. Huh. susceptible to trash talk, hate from fans, and the extreme ups and downs of the journey of being a professional MMA fighter. However, throughout his career, he has grown stoic and immune to the outside world while still staying connected to what matters in his family and team. This video will examine the stoic philosophies Dustin has adopted throughout his career and highlight how you can utilize them in your own life. The first stoic concept Dustin masters is emotional detachment. To see his progress, let's first examine how emotional he used to get before fights. The best example of this is his first fight with Conor McGregor. He's a quiet little hillbilly from the back ass of nowhere. You know, I've nothing against the guy, you know what I mean? I'm sure he grew up in, in, a, in, a, in a circus or a fair, you know, he's a nice little kid. So, Cletus, uh, you know, his cousin's probably named Cletus or something. I don't he's a nice kid. I've never disliked somebody that much I've ever fought. It is. It's personal. And it's business. It's a, it's a grudge match. I don't like this guy. You know, all that talk and everything over the months just sat in my head. Yeah. And uh, I just read into it too much. He enters the fight emotional as Connor enters the fight emotionally detached. No, I have no emotion towards good or bad. I don't dislike him and I don't like him. I don't anything in him. For me, he does not exist. Unsurprisingly, Connor wins the fight quickly. But Dustin learns to emotionally detach. Look, don't don't fight the person, you know. Don't don't in your in your mental leading up. A lot of times, I would find myself like being angry at him or thinking about him. You're not. I'm not fighting him, who he is. I'm fighting his style of fighting and what he does in the cage. So you're not fighting, you know, all the talk and all that stuff. You know, it'd be a different show if I could do it again. Emotional detachment is to disconnect and see reality objectively without your emotions tied to it. In this case, he wasn't fighting a superstar or a guy who knocked him out or a rival. He was fighting a southpaw counterpuncher who had a bladed stance. Now let's see that detachment in action at UFC 264. 
Tomorrow night I'm gonna make this man pay with his life, and I mean it. You're dead in that octagon tomorrow night. The man looks disgraceful up here. He looks frail. He looks frail at this weight now. Is this getting personal for you at this point? Nah, straight business, man. This is, uh... You're only a little bitch. In an interesting turn of events, it's actually Connor who enters the contest emotional this time. It is also Connor who uncharacteristically engages in the clinch and goes for a guillotine, while Dustin fights his fight and finishes Connor for the second time. It's evident that Dustin cannot detach from his emotions both before and during the fight. Another example of this is during his fight with Michael Chandler. Here, Dustin has control of Chandler's posture, and he's threatening a triangle. Michael Chandler takes this opportunity to blow his nose as hard as he can, blowing snot and blood all over Dustin's face. Dustin loses the position and ends up with Chandler on his back as he wipes the snot and blood from his eyes. Of course, going from a potential submission to having your back taken due to a dirty tactic would make anyone angry, but Dustin calmly defends the rear naked choke. Then Michael Chandler cheats again, fish-hooking Dustin's mouth in order to lift his head enough to sink in a rear-naked choke. Dustin, now getting cheated on offense and defense, simply tells the ref and continues calmly defending the choke. After an entire round of Chandler cheating, instead of letting the anger ignite reckless aggression, Dustin comes out calmly in round three and surgically finishes Chandler with a rear-naked. The concept here that Dustin embodies is, to be stoic is not to be emotionless, but to remain unaffected by your emotions. One of the stoic practices Dustin uses to do this is the dichotomy of control, which he talks about here. I can control what I can control. Like, I, I've said this before. That's the only thing that matters is what I can control. Everything else is just noise. The opinions, everything, my opponent, his team, what he's doing to train, all I can control is I write a circle. Everything I can control, I, I draw inside that circle. Everything I can, I put on the outside, and I kind of look at that throughout camp. Just if, if I get aggravated to camp or something like that i just go back to that and say okay well this is out of my like i address the things that, I, that i'm worried about or i need you know whether it's training or just overthinking things if i look at that paper and it's not inside the circle then I, it is what it is i can't do anything about it but if it's inside that circle then i need to address it and, and, and try to make a change this is the central principle of stoicism there are only two categories of things within your control and outside of your control and the more you focus on what is in your control, the happier and more successful you will be. Dustin can't control Connor trash-talking him. He also can't control Michael Chandler cheating mid-fight. But he can control how he feels about it and how he reacts to it, and that's what he does. Which brings us to the next stoic concept Dustin embodies. Amor Fati, love of fate. Hey, I just want to tell everybody thank you so much. I love this journey, I love this ride. It's been amazing, a lot of ups, a lot of downs, but we stay true to the path, and here we are, one fight away from a title shot. Marcus Aurelius said, love the hand that fate deals you and play it as your own. Thomas Edison is a good example of this. When his factory burned down, he lost his life's work, but he told his son to grab his mother as she would never see a fire like this again. He saw the fire as an opportunity to rebuild something entirely new as he'd gotten complacent. And that next year was one of the most creative and profitable years of his life. The truth is, shit is gonna happen. The Stoics believed in not just accepting it, but embracing it as something good. Jocko Willink says it best here. When things are going bad, there's gonna be some good that's gonna come from it. Didn't get the new high-speed gear we wanted? Good. Didn't get promoted? Good. 
You can choose to see difficulties as a setback or an opportunity, and Dustin sees them as opportunities. He embraces the loss to Connor as a learning lesson in emotional detachment and ends up finishing Connor twice at 155 with his lesson learned. He also embraces the losses to Khabib and Oliveira as learning lessons to work on his grappling defense. Because he couldn't seem to get the arm under the neck. It's just getting choked by Renegade Choke in two world title fights will make you tuck your chin a little bit tighter next time you're in that position. That's what it is. The Stoics believed we don't control what happens to us. We only control how we react to it. And a big part of how we react to it is how we feel about it. You can see now how the concepts of Stoicism tie together. When you are able to detach from your emotions, you are able to act more rationally. When you act more rationally, you take the best course of action by focusing on what you can control. When you're able to accept that some things are entirely outside of your control, you realize all you can do for those things is embrace them and seek to improve because of them. And when you seek to improve through whatever difficulty life throws your way, you become unconquerable. If you made it to the end of the video, I'd love it if you left a diamond emoji. For anger is a dangerous weapon that... Hey, listen carefully. For anger is a dangerous weapon that can be used to slay enemies, but it can also destroy everything in its path, including yourself. First, know that anger is a natural emotion that every warrior feels, but it must be harnessed and controlled. You cannot let it control you, for then you will become nothing but a mindless beast, unable to see reason or logic. To deal with your anger issues, you must first acknowledge them, accept that you are angry, and do not deny it or try to suppress it. Remember that the mind cannot be tamed by force alone, just as a blade cannot be wielded without the proper skill. Next, you must seek to understand why you are angry. What has caused this rage within you? Is it a perceived injustice, a slight against your honor, or perhaps something deeper and more personal? Only by understanding the source of your anger can you hope to control it. Once you have identified the root of your anger, you must learn to channel it properly. Just as a hammer can be used to build or destroy, so too can anger be a tool for creation or destruction. It all depends on how you wield it. Remember, anger can be a powerful motivator, driving you to push beyond your limits and achieve great things but it can also blind you to the consequences of your actions, leading you down a path of destruction and ruin. Therefore, you must learn to use your anger wisely. Do not lash out in blind fury, but instead channel your rage into focused determination. Use it to fuel your desire for success and let it push you to become the best version of yourself. And finally, never forget that anger can be a double-edged sword. Just as it can give you strength and power, it can also consume you and destroy everything you hold dear. So be mindful of your anger and always keep it in check. Remember, boy, anger is not your enemy, but neither is it your ally. It is simply a part of who you are, and it is up to you to decide how you will wield it. Use it wisely, and you will become a true warrior, feared and respected by all who cross your path. I wanted to fight as soon as possible, so that was the uh, that was what it was, and that was the case. They even asked, they're like, "Look, if you want the rematch, we don't know, you know, that's not going to be till the end of the year." Well, I ain't waiting man, until the end of the year. I can get a fight at featherweight, and then see you see what happens later. You know what I mean? Like uh, that's that's just how how I am. Volk is awesome, man. So he's willing to not take that massive rematch in the meantime, as he wants to stay active. That's a dangerous fighter right there, man. A mindset to be able to risk 
the money-making fight in order to just keep himself active and take on the next challenger of his own division. So he's moving weight classes again, right? He's went up to 155, now he's going back to 145 immediately. Like, this is months later after his fight with Islam Makashev. We've seen in the past in many combat sports how that could hurt a fighter's performance, constantly switching weight classes like that. And then he's going to look to jump up to 155, potentially, or he might fight another 145-er before he goes and fights Islam Makhachev again. Any opponent of Volkanovski has a dangerous task at hand when they go up against him because that's the kind of passion, the love, the motivation he has for the sport that a lot of guys do not display. A lot of champions would not have done what Volkanovski just did. Now, some would say it's foolish. He should have just waited. He should have just asked for it and get that big money fight. But the competition aspect of the sport is what drives Volkanovski, not the money that he can make out of it. He is so focused on just getting better, facing the next big challenge i mean he even said to max holloway yo get out of my division stop taking out my contenders i want to fight those guys that's how competitive he is that's how focused he is on being a dominant force in the sport you have to appreciate it man it's so admirable how volk's mindset plays and i even made a video about this way back in the day about the mindset that volkanovsky has i've known about this i've always known he's such a dangerous guy as a champion against any contender he views himself as the champion chasing the contenders that's a different kind of mindset than a normal champion has. And back in the day when I made that video, people have been sleeping on that kind of mindset for a very long time. I recommend you guys checking that video out as he talks more about how he thinks as a champion. Now, there is a risk. There's always a risk with whatever decision you make. If he wants to fight Islam and wait it out and stuff, there is the risk that he'll wait too long and maybe be, I won't say rusty, but probably not in the same mental space that he is when he's active. Some guys operate better when they're active rather than just waiting around. Running and managing a woodworking business on top of being a mom is very time-consuming. Around. And also, he would have to fight Islam in Islam's place, Abu Dhabi, because that's where they want Islam to fight. If Abu Dhabi's an option, they're always going to have Islam Makhachev there. So just like Islam went to Australia in enemy territory, Volk would have to go to potentially Abu Dhabi in enemy territory. And the other risk is he could lose. Yair Rodriguez is a very dangerous matchup. I do favor Volk. For many different reasons. But the threat is there. Just how he even talked about saying that Yair is potentially the most dangerous fighter he's ever faced. And that includes like the welterweights he fought in the day. He says that Yair Rodriguez is the most dangerous man to walk in front of him. And he recognizes the kind of things that Yair can do to him. So that is a level of risk before getting that big money fight. And the other part of it is he probably won't even get the Islam fight. What it seems like honestly is the roadmap for Volk and Islam to fight each other again may not happen. If you think about it, Volk says above everything else, he wants to keep himself active over fighting Islam. So, fighting Yair in July is his first fight. Then we're going to have to see what happens between Charles Oliveira and Benil Dariush. Because the winner of that is going to get the title shot and fight Islam Makhachev. More so if Dariush beats Oliveira. But Oliveira is such a big name in the sport, he's such a star, they would probably give him that rematch against Islam because it would bring big numbers. If that were to happen, Islam fights the winner of Dariush and Oliveira, that means that Volk, because he wants to stay active, would take up another fight, potentially against another featherweight. I don't know who that would be, because outside of Yair, it doesn't really make sense for Volk to fight anybody else. I mean, who else is there? Let's say he beats Yair, he already beat Holloway, he already beat Ortega, Arnold Allen's there, but he just lost to Holloway, Emmett is there, but he just lost to Yair, then there's Kelvin Cater, Korean Zombie, and a bunch of other guys that don't make any sense to fight Volk. On Volk's side, 
it seems like there's no one there for him to fight. And maybe you would have to just do the fourth fight with him and Max. Because Max is just that good where he's beating everybody else. I mean, he has a win over the guy that Volk is fighting right now. And he just beat Arnold Allen, which was the other fighter that we were looking to see if he had what it took to face the champion. And he didn't. He fell short against the title gatekeeper. So in the meantime, if Volk wants to stay active, either he takes a fourth fight with Max... Or something actually very interesting. If Aljamain Sterling decides to move up to 145, if he is able to beat Henry Cejudo, or even if Henry Cejudo wants to jump up to 145 afterward, because both guys have said they want to move up. And that actually makes perfect sense now. It's another super fight that can happen, a big fight for Volk, while the contenders in this division clear it up a bit as to who should get the next title shot. And they can fight later in the year. Maybe November would be a good one where John Jones potentially is going to fight Stipe Miocic in New York. They can have Volk versus either Aljamain Sterling or Henry Cejudo there. And then after that, you might be able to line up an Islam and Volkanovski rematch, potentially. But the only problem is, Islam has a lot of guys coming up that he hasn't fought yet. Volk is the only dominant champ in the UFC right now. Islam just got the belt. He doesn't have the track record yet. He hasn't beaten all these contenders. He still needs to prove himself against these guys. Because his path to a title was not against the top contenders. He just beat the champion, and now everybody else he hasn't even fought yet. He didn't fight Dustin, who's number two. He didn't fight Gaethje, who has a win over Fazeev. He didn't fight Chandler, who's number five, but he's probably going to be at 170 fighting Connor. He didn't fight Fazeev, Gamrot. He did fight Armin. He didn't fight RDA, Jalen Turner. He only has three wins in the whole top 15. That's Charles Oliveira, Armin Saryukian, and Drew Dober. And honestly, you can see Dustin getting the title shot. You can see Gaethje getting the title shot. You can see Michael Chandler, if he defeats Conor McGregor, get the title shot. Armin Saryukin, if he's able to build himself up fast enough, he could get that rematch, and their first fight was very close, too. So in the lightweight division, there is a bit of uh, an enigma. Like, we don't exactly know how it's going to shape up, but for Volk's side, it's pretty simple of who he fights next if he beats Yair. It's either Holloway or the Bantamweight champion in a super fight, and that's pretty much it. There's no one else that makes sense. Unless he wants a contender at lightweight, he wants to move up there and fight like a Dustin or Chandler or something. I don't know why he would do that, but he is a guy that would like to stay active. So he would take up any big challenge because that would be a massive challenge for himself. And that's what he's up for. He likes the competitive nature of the sport. And in a rematch with Islam and Volkanovski, let's say it matches together. Let's say Islam defeats Oliveira or Dariush, whoever's the winner of that fight. Volk defeats Yair and then another guy. They fight each other, let's say, February of next year. Almost same time they had their first fight. And let's say it's in a neutral area or they find Abu Dhabi again or something. Because I doubt Islam would go back to Australia to fight Volkanovski. It would have to be the other way around, or in like Vegas or something, right? Now, Volk has said that both of them have underestimated each other going into the first fight, right? Volk underestimated Islam striking, Islam underestimated Volk's grappling. That would not be a thing in the rematch. They know what each other are made of going into the second fight. And Islam better have Khabib in the corner. Like, no excuses, right? He needs everything possible he needs to get everything done in order to number one not make excuses afterward and number two ensure a victory over volkanovsky so have habib in the corner no short rejuvenation after the weigh-ins no usada like the day of the weigh-ins or whatever that was no lack of saunas or sweatsuits clean fight all the skills there no excuses who is i mean i guess the second best fighter in the world i guess because john jones is still around but john jones will probably retire in november so that would bump is UEI is the place to make a change in your life. This is where career training happens. That fight, let's say in February or March, wherever that happens. Who do I think would win? It's close. It's really close because I do like Volk's chances 
when it comes to revising his game plan and understanding Islam because it didn't look like he could have done more stuff in the first fight, but he was kind of expecting different things out of Islam that weren't there. I know he said he underestimated Islam striking, but it seemed like he overestimated other parts too, like how strong he was, how good his grappling was, all of that stuff. It looked like he was envisioning a sort of monster of a grappler who is so much stronger than him when that's not what he experienced in the cage and he was waiting for that monster to show up. He had the weapons, he had all the weapons that deal with that monster, but it never showed up for him to use those weapons. So he was kind of like doing other stuff out there and underestimating the striking is going to be addressed. Now, Islam's side, there was some advice that Habib was giving Islam that he should have went for in the fight, but he didn't. So if he does, in fact, have Habib in the corner, it would change like in between round game planning because Habib has a great eye for the sport. Because even for the first fight, Habib was correct in a lot of things he said, not everything. He did say that Volk was going to be a tougher fight than Oliveira was, and back then, nobody believed him. And then he did say that knees in the clinch would be a very big thing for Makashev, and they, in fact, were. He was catching Volk with a lot of knees in the clinch, and he said that he was going to take his back and choke him out. Now, he wasn't able to choke him out, so there was something from Volk that we've seen even back when Brian Ortega tried to submit him. He's very hard to choke. Islam got into the position that Habib was saying that was going to happen, so a lot of the steps were met on the ground for Islam to get the position where he can get the choke, but the execution of the choke was proved to be much more difficult than even Habib expected. And he did say that Islam was going to take all of Volk's energy, which was very strange, and it didn't actually happen because Islam doesn't fight that way, right? Islam doesn't fight like Habib. He's not a super aggressive grappler. He will take time. He will wait back and give the opponent space. So potentially that might have been part of the game plan that Islam was originally supposed to go for. Go after Volk and suffocate him. But not only did Islam not fight that way, the way Volk was going at it didn't allow Islam to do that. Unless Islam wanted to put himself in a lot of danger. Islam looked to be a lot more comfortable countering on the feet against Volk rather than chasing big shots and then shooting double legs and stuff like that because Volk is coming out there to stand his ground and go blow for blow with Islam. And it's very hard to back someone up who's doing that. Now, it did cause Volk to get hurt sometimes, right? He got caught with some shots that he probably didn't need to be in those kind of exchanges. But that kind of approach makes it hard to back someone up like that. Unless you hurt them, of course. So, if I think about it, I do like... Volk's chances by refining his game plan and now understanding who Islam is better than the other way around. Habib being in Islam's corner is still something we don't know if it's going to happen. If Habib is not in Islam's corner or if he's not involved there, I definitely like Volk's chances much more. And just stylistically, I do like Volk in this. So yeah, I would pick Volkanovski to beat Islam in the rematch, but it's still a very tough fight. I wouldn't be surprised at all, of course, if Islam hurts him on the feet again, even gets him in a submission or holds him down. I wouldn't be surprised in any of those scenarios, but I do like Volk's more well-rounded style with his aggressive approach going into the rematch. He's a very intelligent fighter. I think his IQ is a little bit higher than Islam's, and that would be the difference maker of the fight. I would love to see it, but there's a lot of moving parts here before we get to see a rematch, right? Both guys have to win their fights, and if the roadmap is there, Volk is going to fight another time after Yair and before he gets an Islam rematch. And that is a very dangerous scenario, right? Yair Rodriguez is more dangerous than anybody else. I think Cejudo or Sterling both lose the Volk. It's the Yair fight that everybody has to keep their eye on. And as for Islam Makhachev, he's honestly in more danger than Volk is because Dariush and Oliveira can both beat him. A lot has been exposed on Islam Makhachev from that Volkanovski fight. And both Dariush and Oliveira can take advantage of some of those weaknesses because Oliveira also seem to have underestimated Islam striking and he would not be doing that in the rematch knowing how he was able to strike with even Volkanovski who by the way also underestimated Islam striking 
Darius and Oliver would not do that, and they could possibly beat this guy. Watch after all this anticipation. Yair Hay kicks Volkanovski. Benil Darius drops Islam with a left hand and chokes him out, and then everything's different. But leave the comments below. What do you guys think? Do you guys want to see the rematch? What do you think the plans are going to look like here? Do you think Islam will beat the winner of Oliver and Darius? Do you think Volkanovski will beat Yair Rodriguez? And will Volkanovski wait it out after the Yair Rodriguez fight? My thought process is, um, for one, the, the for one, Vol for for one, Volkanovski versus Volkanovski versus Islam is the bigger fight. Um, if is the way bigger fight. Um, depending if Henry Cejudo, you know, is a way bigger fight, way bigger fight than the fight that he had mentioned. Um, if Cejudo were to win then definitely the Cejudo Volkanovski fight would trump that. Um, the way I see it is, is I honestly think that fr from the way I see it is, I think depending on the, depending on if Volkanovski wins his fight against Yair, they will have Islam fight somebody in Abu Dhabi and then make Islam versus Volkanovski, the end of the year fight, the new year's Eve fight. That's my that that's pretty much what I'm thinking. Um, it makes sense because the end of the year, those are the last two fights. You know that New Year's Eve fight is a big deal, so you know that's what I think will go down. But I could be wrong. You know they could make it a December card too. But um, definitely, I think that something tells me they're gonna make it a a new. Definitely, I see. Definitely, I I don't think the rematch is gonna happen this year. I think it's gonna happen next year. Um, I can just see that happening because, you know, once again, there's, you know, they, they have big plans. I'm pretty sure Conor McGregor somewhere in the mix of that, you know, for the end of the year, I don't see that fight happening next year. I do see that fight, him and Chandler happening this year. So there's a good chance that if Volkanovski beats Yair, they will probably, and if Islam, you know, if, well, never mind, scratch that. Let me repeat that. If, if Volkanovski beats Yair, there's a good chance that, you know, they'll have Islam fight somebody else and then have them rematch sometime next year on a big card. That's what I assume. But, um, I think right now they're kind of playing it by ear, you know, especially, you know, because Cejudo is a far bigger star than Aljamain Sterling. So if Cejudo wins, there's a good chance they'll pursue that super fight and then just have Islam defend his title against somebody else. And and if all goes well, well, then that just puts even more, you know, that just puts even more juice in the Islam Volkanovsky rematch or possibly a fight between Cejudo and Islam. So, you know, that's what I think. But right now, I think it all starts with these next two fights. The Aljamain Sterling, Henry Cejudo fight, and the Yair Rodriguez versus Volkanovski fight. That's where, that's where it starts.